go to the Lord in prayer once more. Gracious Father, help us now. Father, we are needy of your grace so that we can worship you in this moment. So that I can preach your words, not my own. And so the congregation can listen closely to hear your truth. And Lord, so we all can live by it, submitting to your authority and applying that which we have learned. We cannot do it without you, Father. We are sinful people. And Father, for those of us who are saved, we still have that wretched man. And though we have your spirit as well, Lord, we need encouragement. We need grace. Uh, We need to stimulate our love for you. I pray you would do that very thing. Fan the flame of our love for you and our hearts through your word as it's preached now. And may you be worshiped in our hearts, Lord, and in our activity and in our obedience as we leave here today. And I ask these things in the name of Christ, our wonderful Savior. Amen. As humans, we're in quite a predicament. It's no secret that we're needy. We're a needy bunch. We may act like we're self-sufficient, but really, it's a facade. We have to constantly ask people to do things for us. We, we have needs, and so uh, from day to day, we're asking people, do this for me. I need help in this way. Please give me what I need. We ask questions, will you please email me a reminder? Things like that. And then we ask questions like, will you marry me? Questions like that, because we need people and everything else in between. Can you, can you even imagine what a day would look like where you didn't ask anybody for help, where you didn't ask somebody for something that you needed I can't, I can't imagine it. It may sound like we could do that, but think of all of the occasions when you ask people for things that you need, things that they can provide you, uh, services that they can give to you. We're needy. And on top of being needy, we also ask people to do things for us only to find out that they can't help us. For any number of reasons, they can't help us. Because like us, they are also needy people, which means they have limitations. And so they may not be able to help us in the way that we need help. Even the most resourceful of people can't give us everything that we need. So we're needy, we have to ask people for help, and then sometimes people can't give us what we need. But even still, we have more of a problem, and that is with our neediness and the reality that people can't give us what we ask for. We often have to ask people to do things for us knowing that they really don't want to help us. And and in fact, they may not want to even be asked. We're selfish. We're all selfish people who are often only looking out for number one, right? And so we often don't get what we ask for because of this. You may ask your boss for a much needed raise, knowing that he doesn't want to grant your request and he really doesn't even want you to ask him for it. You may have to ask the guy at Target to clean up the mess that your two-year-old made on aisle 12, knowing that he would much rather eat paste than do that. 
we have problems. But all these problems that we're talking about this morning are swallowed up in prayer. They're swallowed up in prayer. Yes, we're extremely limited, needy people who can in no way provide for ourselves the things that we need in this life. But Jesus tells us to ask our heavenly father who has all the resources we need in this life. And the world is full of people who cannot give us what we need, even when we ask nicely. But God has the power and the wisdom to provide us with everything we need. And the selfishness of the human race may prevent our requests from being granted by others, but God enjoys it when we ask him for what we need. In fact, as we see here in the Lord's Prayer this morning, we'll see that God encourages us to pray because he's telling us how to do it. And in other places in the scriptures, he commands it to be done. He loves it when we ask for the things that we need. God wants us to pray and he delights to give us what we ask for when it's according to his will. In prayer, we see the grace and the mercy of a God who not only has what we need, but he also has the ability and the desire to give it to us. So wisdom would have us listen closely to Jesus when he says in the Lord's Prayer, pray then in this way. If he has what we need and he has the ability to give it to us and he has the desire to give it to us, then we should listen closely when he says, pray then in this way. Now each time the elders give me an opportunity to preach. I've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. A few weeks ago, I started preaching the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 7 through 15, but I didn't finish. I only got through your kingdom come, right? So we're going to pick up where we left off this week. Last week, we, we learned that the Lord's Prayer is a pattern for prayer. Instead of a group of magical words that we recite, Um, to get God to do what we want him to do. It's not that. It's a pattern for our prayers, a model for our prayers. Jesus has given us categories for prayer that we should use in praying to our Father in heaven. We also discussed how the only people who have the promise of their prayers actually being answered are those who can legitimately call God Father because they have come to him through faith in his Son. Otherwise, you can't expect that your prayers will be answered. And finally, uh, last time we determined that the Lord's Prayer is not just a pattern for prayer, but it's also a pattern for our lives. We should be striving to live out these prayers and not just pray them. It's a model for prayer and living. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 for this morning's text. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And follow along as I read the text. Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This prayer is broken up into three sections. There's the address, 
uh, petitions of adoration and then petitions of need. The address, petitions of adoration, and petitions of need. And last time we covered the address and the first two petitions of adoration. So this morning we begin with the final petition of adoration, which is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To know what is meant by this request, we first have to understand what God's will is. What what are we talking about here when we talk about God's will, his will being done? Are we talking about his sovereign will or are we talking about his moral will? These two wills that are discussed in the scriptures. Which one are we talking about? His sovereign will is precisely what happens in every second of history, right? He planned it out before creation. He planned out every detail that would take place. And as it takes place in history, in time, then God's sovereign plan is working out just the way he wants it to work out. God's sovereign will is being accomplished just the way he wants it to as each second in history passes. It's his sovereign will that King Nebuchadnezzar speaks of when he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he, that is God, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's that sovereign will, what actually happens in history that God has planned out because he's in control of all the details. So is, is Jesus referring then to God's sovereign will in the Lord's Prayer, or is he referring to God's moral will? God's moral will is revealed in the commandments of Scripture. We know his moral will because it is uh, in the word of God. It coincides then perfectly with the character of God and it's perfectly pure. His moral will is that which should happen, okay? It's that which should happen. It is how everyone should live if this were a perfect world. It's not though. It's this will that Paul is referring to in Romans 12 too, when he says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. When God's sovereign will, uh, where God's sovereign will incorporates things like sin and foolishness, his moral will does not. Okay, because um, in this, this world, as everything takes place, God is in control of it all, and even uh, sin is included in his plan, sin and foolishness. And he works all of that together for his glory and for our good as his people. But when it comes to his moral will, that's not true because his moral will is revealed in scripture and his moral will is accomplished as people submit to his authority and obey his word. See, his sovereign will goes off without a hitch, okay? Everything happens exactly the way he wants it to happen. But his moral will that's revealed in Scripture, it's accomplished as people submit to him and obey him. So needless to say, his moral will is often not accomplished because there's sin in this world and there's rebellion and immorality. So which are we talking about here in the Lord's Prayer? It's got to be God's moral will or else why would Jesus add on earth as it is in heaven? Right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he add that last part if it were his sovereign will? This communicates that the will he is talking about here is not accomplished as it should be. And we're praying that it would be accomplished more and more here on earth. 
God's sovereign will is accomplished the same in heaven as it is on earth, right? God's sovereign will is accomplished the same way in heaven as it is on earth, exactly the way God wants it to. But this is not so with his moral will. So we need to pray, God, may your will be done. The, the commandments of scripture that are laid out in your word, may it be done more and more in my life and in the lives of other people. So how is God's moral will done differently in heaven than on earth? That's the next question we have to ask. In heaven, God's moral will is done perfectly by all who are there with him. Minds and hearts are constantly fixed on the beauty of God's full presence and overflowing and adoring praise to him, right? And his commandments are also obeyed immediately, right? Without question and without complaining. His commands are not obeyed with some secret agenda in mind on the part of the one who's obeying. They are obeyed with an attitude of humility and sincere appreciation for everything that God is and everything that he has done. There's no just enough to get by mentality in heaven, but rather there is a zeal to see God's will done and perfect completion. There are people up there in heaven saying, yeah, let's see, what can I do so that no one, um, no one rebukes me or no one pulls me over into the corner to shake the finger at me, but at the same time, I won't have to exert too much energy. No one's up there doing that. In heaven, there's no mixture of sin with good intentions. There's no mixture of immorality with, with commitment to God. In heaven, God's will is done with pure, concentrated devotion and love. Isn't it difficult to even try and imagine what that's like? Because our, our hearts are, um, even when we, uh, like, like John Bunyan said, even in my best prayer, there's enough sin to condemn the whole world. That's what he said. And, and if, if you examine your heart, you see that. Our good intentions, and, and when we, we are striving to please the Lord and we're believing, there's also a mixture of sin in there and selfishness in there. We don't even know what it's like to o- completely obey in that way, but we're praying, God, make that more reality. This, this ties in perfectly with let your kingdom come because it's his kingdom, right? It's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom. And so we need to then submit to his authority and obey his will because he is king. We're praying, God, please bring me and others to a place where our hearts and lives are more concentrated with submission and love and faithful obedience. It's praying that we would be more familiar with obeying God's will than with obeying our wills. You get that? It's just praying that we would be more familiar with obeying God's will than obeying our own wills. Truth be told, many of us act as if we would love it if our wills were done on earth as God's will is done in heaven. Right? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we think that would be great. You know, if my will is done here and now on earth as God's will is done in heaven perfectly, right? We think, how great would it be if my kids never questioned what I told them to do and never complained about what I told them to do, but rather they, uh, they obeyed with a smile on their face and a whistle on their lips and a skip in their step. That would be perfect. That'd be great. I would love that if my will... We're done on earth as God's will is done in heaven. Other times we may think something like, if only my friends 
were fully devoted in heart, mind, and soul to my joy and welfare, then I could be happy. If, if their lives and, it would, and everything that drove them was about me. And this mentality, like it or not, finds its way into our prayers so that we are often praying more for our wills to be done than for God's will to be done. It finds, our ways in, it finds its way into our prayers so that we're often praying that our wills be done instead of his will. And this is dangerous. This is dangerous because what we want and what brings us happiness is often influenced by our sinful desires. And when we don't get what we pray for, what happens? We become offended. We, we get bitter with God. We become bitter at the thought that he doesn't care for us. And we, we become jaded at the, his promises. God really, so you told me that you care about me and you told me you were always going to give me what is good. Then how come I'm not getting what I'm asking for? Become discontent. Angry and bitter at God. Church, when we pray, we've got to remember that God's will is perfect, not ours. God's will is perfect. Remember Romans 12 too said that his will is perfect. If we pray for God's will to be done, we can always count on that prayer being prayed for something that is pure and good through and through. Praying your will may feel like it's right. Praying your will to be done may seem like it's right and good, but remember that our wills are influenced by our hearts and God says that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. God's will is perfect, not ours. When you were a kid, do you remember being outraged whenever your parents denied you what you wanted? I mean, just being outraged. Like, because everything inside of you, whenever you want something as a, as a kid, and even now, really, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, everything inside of you is saying, what you want is what you need. And if you don't have it, your life will be over. You must have it. There is no question. You must have it. Everything inside is saying that. And then, so when your mom comes along and says, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Fury rears its ugly head in the form of red face and clenched fists and pulsating veins in the forehead. <laughs> Seen it. I did it. My kids do it. We tell Peter, a four-year-old, constantly, it's not always good to get what you want. It's not always good to get what you want. And when he hears these words, he gives us this look like, is this for real? <laughs> Am I being filmed for some kind of reality TV show? Who's going to come out from behind that plant back there? It, because it feels, it feels like you need it. It feels like uh, you want it, like it's good and right, and your life will end if you don't have it. And so for someone to tell you, no, it's not a good idea, you're devastated. Listen, our feelings aren't directly tied to what's right and good. You must remember this. Our feelings aren't directly tied to what's right and good. So we need to learn to stop trusting our wills and learn to trust God's. 
Stop trusting your will and start trusting God's. Here's a great principle to live by every day of your lives. You cannot be trusted, God can. Simply put, you cannot be trusted, God can. Learn to distrust yourself. And we gotta take this principle and apply it to our prayer lives so that we obey Jesus when he tells us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, not our wills. You know, and this is really why praying through scripture, I think is so crucial, right? Um, Because when we pray through scripture, when we take a psalm or the prayers that Paul prays for the churches at the beginning and sometimes the end of the epistles, we pray those for ourselves and we turn those into prayers for our own lives, then we're getting closer to to the will of God, praying that his will be done. Why do I say closer? I say closer because sometimes what we do is we take God's word and we pray through it and we twist it and we distort it and make it say what we want it to say. But praying through scripture gets a lot closer to praying that God's will be done than just praying without it. Just as things come to our minds. So take a psalm. When you you sin and you need to repent, you need to confess, take Psalm 51. Pray through it. Make it a prayer for yourself. Unpack that as you pray to God. It'll help keep you grounded in his will so you don't drift off into praying your own will to be done. Let me also suggest that the reason why some of you don't see your prayers answered very often is because you have been praying for your will to be done and not God's. You may be at a place in your life where you rarely see your prayers answered. Therefore, you rarely pray because you're not seeing results. You think, okay, yeah, I tried the prayer thing. I, I tried that already. It's not working. Because you were praying what you wanted and you weren't praying according to God's will. And so, yeah, your prayers aren't getting answered because you're not praying for God's will to be done. You're praying for your will to be done. And so therefore you start thinking, well, God doesn't care for you. Maybe you start thinking, God, uh, his promises really, you know, he's not always faithful to keep those. But start praying for God's will to be done and see if God doesn't astound you with his faithfulness to give you what you ask for. Because he is faithful. He said it, he shows it as we pray according to his will. You'll start seeing prayers answered all over the place because you're, I mean, God wants us to obey, doesn't he? He wants us to obey. He's told us, here is what, here's how I want you to live in order to please me and honor me. So as we pray according to that will, we're praying, God, help me to do these things. Give me what I need to do these things. God wants to be honored. He wants to be glorified. He's going to give you what you need to do these things. So if you start praying his will, you will start seeing prayer answered more and more. We know that God, we know what God's will is because it's found in the commands of scripture. So scripture must inform our prayers. Do you do that? When you have your quiet times, do you, you take the scriptures that you've read and you've meditated on and turn those into prayers for yourself and for others so that God's will is done? 
Scripture must inform your prayers. It should be this transition where you, you go to the Word of God asking God, open my eyes, help me to see these, these truths and, and to glory at who you are and what you've done. And as you meditate and understand more and more about what you're reading, then you take that and you transition from it to prayer and worship and asking God for His will to be done in your life and the lives of others. The more we read and study the Bible, the more familiar we become with God's will and our prayers become a rich experience of coming to our gracious God to ask him for what he's already commanded, knowing that he wants us to be successful in obeying him because it brings him glory and it brings us joy in him. And and also, let's think about this. Prayer, when done right, brings your will into conformity with God's will. This is a, this is a way we draw near to God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Prayer is one of the ways that we draw near to him, right? We're speaking to him, we're, we're pleading with him, we're, we're honoring him by going to him and asking of him the things we need that we know he has. And so our will comes into conformity with his will. We're drawing near to him and he draws near to us as he promised he would. And remember also that the Lord's Prayer is a model for prayer and a model for life. So if you are praying for God's will to be done in your life and the lives of others, then you must also be striving to actually do God's will, right? Don't just pray for it. You must be disciplining yourself, striving, uh, working with God's grace to do it. God works with us in sanctification, right? When we're saved, our sanctification is us becoming more and more like Christ until we get to go to heaven and be with him in glory. So God works with us in sanctification to make us more like Jesus. So we can't expect a prayer to miraculously send God down to pick us up off the couch and bring us to church and start moving our hands so that we're serving people. We can't expect that. We need to work with him Paul says in Galatians, I'm sorry, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, to work out our salvation. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what he's saying here is you work, you work out your salvation. God works in you so you can work. You work, but God works in you so you can work. There's a, you work together with God. And so don't expect that you pray and everything's gonna be done for you. You know, like God is some kind of cosmic puppeteer. Work with his grace. Pray and then do, rely on his grace to give you what you need to obey him and have his will be done in your life. Well, now we turn to the first of the petitions of need. Or the last of the petitions of adoration. This is the first petition of need when Jesus says, pray that Pray for God to give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So what is included in this category of prayer? Certainly it's more than simply asking God to give us a steady diet of carbs. I hear that's bad. You know, I love carbs. I hope that's not all we're asking for. I mean, I, I, maybe I do hope that that's all we're asking for here. But um, yeah, a meal without carbs is, is a waste. So anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there, but I love bread. All right. 
But this is more than that. It's more than asking for just bread. It's asking for all our material needs. It's a prayer asking for all our material needs. Martin Luther understood this prayer to include food, a healthy body, good weather, a house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. All the things that he he perceived were necessary for the preservation of this life. Now, I I would venture to say, when we're talking about a prayer for God to provide us with our material needs, I would venture to say that this prayer is not prayed nearly as much here as in other less affluent places in the world. It's prayed, I would venture to say, prayed more in the the poorer parts of the world. We have plenty. And because of that, I think we neglect this prayer. We don't ask God for food because we have a pantry filled with groceries. We don't ask God for clothing or shelter because we have money in our bank accounts for that. And up until about two or three months ago, we didn't ask God for rain either, right? Because our lakes were full. I praise God for this drought. I really do. I praise God that he has brought this drought to Fort Worth, Texas, because it has made us aware again that we are dependent on God for everything. We are dependent upon God for everything. It has reminded us of that fact because there is absolutely nothing we can do to make it rain. Have you tried? Scientists have tried. We cannot make it rain. God must make it rain. We are completely dependent on him for rain. All we can do is pray and wait on the Lord. But is rain any different than everything else we need? Is prayer any different and other things that we need in this life. Really, the only difference is that we feel like we're the ones providing the other things because we can do something about it. There are things that we can do about it, so we feel like we're the ones earning it or providing ourselves with it. If a man needs a job, he does something about it, right? He revises his resume, makes appointments for interviews, and puts in calls to various friends who might know someone who is hiring He does something about it. And if that man gets a job, it feels like he got it because of his hard work. But just because there are things we can do to address our needs does not mean that God wasn't the one doing the providing all along. He just chose to work through our efforts. This man got a job. God chose to work through his hard work and getting that job to provide it. But he was the one providing it. And furthermore, just because our cupboards are full and our bank accounts have some padding doesn't mean that God didn't provide every cent and every can of beans. Rain is the same as every other need that we have. God must provide it. God must provide it. It's easy for us to believe the lie that we are self-sufficient and that we are doing these things, that we are earning these things and getting these things for ourselves. Not true. It's a lie. Listen, even the most financially organized person in the world, uh, some guy who brings in like seven, eight figures a year, comes from a filthy rich family, even he is completely dependent on God for every single need that he has, whether he realizes it or not. James speaks the truth in his epistle in chapter one, verse 17, when he says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above 
coming down from the Father of lights. Prayer is an act of dependence. It's an act of dependence. It's saying to God, I need something. I don't have it, and I can't get it. But I know that you and all of your power, all of your wisdom, and all of your kindness can provide it without even the smallest hitch. Please, God, give me what I need for your glory and my joy in you. I dare say that if, if we aren't praying for our needs, then we are not depending on God for them. If we are not praying for our needs, then we are not depending on God for them. Paul Miller is this man who wrote a book called A Praying Life. It's a good book. Some, uh, I've, I haven't read all of it yet, but what I've read, very good stuff. A Praying Life. And he, he says in this book that another reason that we neglect to pray this prayer is because we're not sure if something is a need. So we feel as though praying for it would be selfish, so we don't pray for it. Using the example of a promotion at work, he writes this. It feels selfish to pray for one, so instead, we'll work for one. We end up separating a big part of our lives from God because we are trying to feel good about ourselves. He goes on to say that in doing this, we create two selves, a spiritual self and a material self. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that would be really, I would feel like I was presuming upon God's grace if I asked for that. So I'm not going to ask God for it, but I'll just start working harder and saving up more money to get that thing and leave God out of this decision. because we're not sure what's a need and what's not a need. And that, that needs to be factored into this conversation, into this, into this teaching. How do we know what's a need and what's not a need? It's true that, we, that what we consider a need is, is often different than what God considers to be a need for us. So how do we determine what's a need and what's not? Well, I, I think there's no exact formula to this, church. But a good place to start is to ask yourself, why you exist. Ask yourself why you exist, and this will help you to determine your needs. At least get you started. Because your purpose for living will help you determine what is necessary to achieve it. If you exist for the purpose of comfort, for example, then your needs are those things that will make it possible for you to escape suffering. Right? Right? If you exist for the purpose of building a name for yourself, then your needs are those things that make it possible for you to receive more recognition and more applause and more respect. But if you believe you exist for the purpose God says you exist, then your needs are different. In Isaiah 43, 6 and 7, God says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. Whom I have created for my glory. According to God, that's why we exist, for his glory, for his honor, to reflect back to him who he is, his, his greatness and his magnificence. We exist for his glory. Therefore, our needs are those things that make it possible for us to give more glory to God in this life. So, 
Then we have to ask ourselves, is it selfish to ask God for a bigger house? Is it selfish to ask God for a bigger house? Well, it depends. Why do you believe you exist? Why do you believe you exist? Do you exist to impress people? Whether or not you would admit that, is that functionally why you exist? To impress people? If so, then that bigger house, it becomes a showcase for you. A showcase for your possessions. A showcase for your success. A showcase for your design taste. If that's your your reason for existing. But if you believe that you exist for the glory of God, then the bigger house becomes a place of hospitality where people are invited over for intentional fellowship and rest. It becomes a a place where your family benefits, but where other people benefit as well, purposefully. It becomes a functional house for more than your own family. It becomes a ministry house. In this case, it would not be wrong for you to ask for a bigger house, I don't think. But there are a couple of things that I think we need to, to remember that Wayne Mack helps us with in his book, Reaching the Ear of God. He gives us two things to remember when we're praying for things that we need or praying for things we think we need, okay? Here's the two things. Number one, God is the only one who really knows what you need. God is the only one who really knows what you need. Okay. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asked for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. Right? He, he believed that he needed that thorn to be removed. And so he asked three times, God, remove this thorn. God said, yeah, that's not what you need. You need my grace. And so he didn't take away the thorn. Rather, he said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So God knew exactly what Paul needed. Paul thought he knew what he needed, but God knew what he needed, actually. And you know, you'll know whether you truly believe you exist for God's glory when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you asked him to. You'll know in that moment whether you really believe you exist for that purpose, right? Because if you do believe that you exist for his glory, then if God doesn't answer your prayer, doesn't give you uh, something you thought you needed, then you'll say, okay, I'll go on with life. I'll trust that God knows best, that he actually knows what I need, that he is not going to deny me something that is uh, good for me, and I'll continue to live my life. But if uh, your purpose for living or your existence is something different, then you'll be devastated, right? You'll tank spiritually, right? And you'll most likely be discontent and angry with God. But you'll know when you don't get what you asked for whether or not you believe you exist for God's glory. So that's number one. God is the only one who really knows what you need. Number two, something else to remember is this, that needs are different from person to person. Needs are different from person to person. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, right? God has made us with different strengths and different weaknesses so that some people need more sleep than others, right? I think I'm one of those people that need more, needs more sleep. I, yeah, I'm not getting it right now, so <laughs> I'm joking. But other people need more sleep. There are some people that have a faster metabolism, so they need more food than others, right? If you have a teenage son in your house, you know this. 
right? I mean, they inhale cheese whiz and Pop-Tarts like nobody's business. I did, I know. Sometimes both at the same time. So. If you have, if you, if you know other people, then you know you have different weaknesses and different strengths. Needs are different from person to person. So don't think because you know your friend prayed for something that he thought he needed and God gave it to him that automatically you get to pray for that thing and get it as well, right? That, oh yes, brother so-and-so, he prayed that uh, he would get a new car. That's what he got. I get the same thing if I pray, right? That's, that's how this works. No. Needs are different from person to person. And so we can ask for things that we believe would help us to give more glory to God in this life. But if we don't get them, then we say, God, you know best. You have all knowledge. If I am in Christ, then, then you love me more than I can even imagine, and you don't deny me any good thing. I trust you. I will continue to live my life. I will continue to pray and, and depend on you. But you know best, God. You know best. You know, uh, an appropriate verse to close out this petition, I think, is found in, in Psalm 37, 25. So turn with me there, if you will. Psalm 37, 25. I just I ran across this verse a few weeks ago, and it blessed my heart. Here's what David says at the end of his life. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. He's saying that he's lived this long life, and he always sees God's people taken care of. And so you can pray for the things that you need, and you may not get the things that you think you need, but know this. God takes care of his people. He does give us what we need, whether we recognize that or not. You may look at your life and you may think, God hasn't given me what I need, but you're not believing God in that moment because he does provide you with what you need and he does provide you with what is good. You need to change your perspective. God doesn't need to change. He doesn't change. You need to change your perspective because he is giving you what you need. It's just... He's not giving you what you think you need or your idea of what you need. But God is good. What a great and encouraging blessing. Remember this when you think that you don't have what you need. The righteous have never been forsaken in his lifetime, he says. As I close, I just want to remind us, this is, this is a wonderful privilege. If you have come to God through faith in his son, then you get these prayers answered when you pray in his will. You can expect that God will answer your prayers if you pray in his will, if you are one of his children. We're, if we are not orphans but children, then we should open our eyes and start looking for the answers to prayer as we pray in his will. It's a wonderful privilege, a wonderful blessing. But let me speak to the people who may not be one of 
God's children. You don't have to pretty yourself up or make yourself look appealing to be adopted by God. That's not the way this adoption works. I was, uh, you know, there's this movie that I watch with my kids sometimes. Uh, it's a Disney movie, Meet the Robinsons. There's a boy, it's about a boy who's in an orphanage. And uh, the orphanage director, she has good intentions and everything, but she's trying to get the kids, as they have appointments with uh, potential parents, they're trying to get the kids to say the right things and, and, and look the right way and kind of uh, make themselves look more appealing so that they'll get adopted. Not so with God. You do not have to pretty yourself up to be adopted by God. You come to him with all your sin and all your immorality. And you trust his son. You trust that his son died to pay for the sins of many. And God will make you clean. He will make you clean. He will make you new. And all of the resources of heaven will be yours as his beloved children. Isn't that a glorious thing? And for those of you who have come to God through Christ that way, through faith in his son, that's, that's true. Look back upon that and glory in God and let it lead you to worship. You didn't have to do anything to make yourself attractive. He took you and made you clean. He took you and made you new. And he said, you're part of my family. You get my name. And here, all the resources of heaven are yours because you are my son or daughter. Because by faith, you've been united with my son, Jesus, and I love you as I love him. This prayer and the fact that God answers these prayers is evidence of the fact that we are in his family. And if you're not, you can be. If you repent and crawl to Jesus by faith, trusting that his life and death and resurrection was given so that you could be forgiven. Next week, or not next week, but two weeks from, from now, I'll uh, be finishing up the Lord's Prayer. Dan's going to come back for next Sunday, and he's going to kind of do a, a ministry year kickoff sermon. So look forward to that. Uh, so I'll come back um, in two weeks, and I'll actually finish off the Lord's Prayer. So look forward to it. We'll do the rest of the petitions then. And um, I'm also going to get a few more opportunities this fall to preach as Dan's going to be out of the country on missions trips. So we'll keep going and keep trucking through the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, that's all for this morning. Please uh, bow with me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you, thank you, thank you that we are part of your family. You've made us part of your family. And the wonderfully magnificent thing is that before you made us your children, we, we bore no resemblance to your family. No characteristics of your family. Not, not the love, not the holiness, nothing like that. Yet you chose to make us part of your family anyway. For your good pleasure, for your glory, for our joy in you. Thank you, thank you. May we pray more knowing that your fatherhood and our position as your children makes it so that you will answer our prayers. May that propel us into more faithful prayer, a, a life of prayer, praying without ceasing, as Paul says. Do this, God, for your glory. Do this so that we can enjoy you more. In Jesus' name.